coming up on the Louis Diaz podcast. The first time I really kind of had a moment with my own thoughts after having begun this journey and thinking, oh my God, like not only is this happening, this is something special. This is just so wonderful. Hi, and welcome to the Louis Diaz podcast, the podcast where you'll meet some of the most fascinating and incredible people from all walks of life. And together, we're inviting you in to be our special guest as we take you through some of their amazing experiences, adventures, and journeys. So sit back and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. You know, I'm super, super stoked. I feel really lucky to be introducing everyone to an absolute legend, Cameron Williams. Welcome, Cam. (laughs) Thank you so much, Louis. Absolutely stoked to be here. Thank you. Cam is from the Random Tandem, just an incredible journey that you're going on right now and sharing this experience with people and I don't really like to read things word for word but you're an extremely great writer and you wrote on your website in the introduction in the about you part this really beautiful thing that I want to read is that okay with you of course of course by all means okay so my name is Cameron Williams I'm a 29 year old guy from Perth Western Australia In 2017, I came up with the idea, which has stuck with me like glue ever since. I want to ride a bicycle from the northern tip of North America to the southern tip of South America. This is a journey that spans 30,000 kilometers and approximately 18 months in total. To do this, I've embraced a mode of transport that's goofy in appearance and practical in nature. And overall, just great fun. The tandem bicycle. Whoa, who does that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we can kick it off from there because I just think, okay, how does one come up with this crazy idea? What was the inspiration? Where have you come from to get to this place in your life? And may I also add, while we're doing the introduction bit, Cam, that you made me cry this morning. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I cried. Wow. Twice. twice. I'm touched. Thank you. Uh, I, that feels funny to say thank you for crying. I don't mean that in a... Uh... In, a, in much of a bizarre way, but it's it's really quite humbling for me to know that I uh, have found a way to kind of reach someone on an emotionally true level like that. So, so thank you in that regard. Yeah, but I'm going to also add before I talk about why, why the tears that I was also laughing at your misery. But that's one of the great ways about how I've learned that you tell stories is that you don't miss bits and you treat this whole journey that you're on with so much respect for both the really miserable parts and like the really beautiful parts. You treat them equally as significant. And um, yeah, you got to me when you were saving Marvin the owl. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Something came over me this morning, Cam. It was just this kind of feeling that, yeah, you're on this epic journey, which we'll obviously get into. But then you can just have these little moments where, yeah, you've got this potentially tunnel vision of being on this journey, but you've got the peripheral vision on at all times to see that there's a creature in need and that, you know, you weren't so gung-ho focused on your own journey to then disregard that, but make that part of your journey as well to rescue this owl. And I started crying. It wasn't just a tear. I was like hysterical crying because you doing that showed me the power that we have at all times in a life where we so often feel powerless. Mm, yeah, I I think to speak to what you mentioned a moment ago of not having tunnel vision and, and remaining open to these kind of moments, and I, I don't mean that in the sense of, of rescuing an owl, which is, of course, a very niche thing that I imagine will be a 
a single event in my life unless I fall into the category of, of our rescuing. It's kind of a lot of the beauty of this trip comes from very regularly being in situations where you're very kind of physically exposed to the world and in many ways mentally and emotionally exposed as well. And, and I mean that in the sense that you spend so much time kind of with your own thoughts and there's there's not really any chance or much ability to kind of distract yourself in a lot of the ways that we might back home whether that be to not think of a difficult issue by leaning into work or through you know various social interactions and it's been really quite a humbling experience in many ways to be in a situation where the physical exposure is constant for a long time and also there's not really any running from your own thoughts either any anything that is there to be kind of mulled over or addressed whether you like it or not your mind will make it to that point and in this case the physical exposure was not so much me it was not uh, me being in danger but being in a situation just riding along the side of the road and seeing a, a baby owl that I think had been hit by a car and um, to be honest almost got hit by me I, I kind of only noticed it at the last minute and really felt at odds with what to do in that situation um, not actually knowing if it had been hit uh, really nice ending to that to get it to the vet and kind of realize that yeah it was in dire straits and and thankfully now it's, it's doing all right mm. i saw that on your youtube channel on the clip that you've labeled riding across country with strangers the random tandem episode three so for anyone that wants to check that out and see what i'm referring to absolutely do like i said you have just got this remarkable storytelling gift i'm not sure if it's something that you studied or something that you've done before but you do have a gift and i was so impressed with your animation skills as well did what <laughs> like, yeah that was uh that was kind of born of necessity that situation um from like you said kind of trying to really not shy away from the troublesome situations of the whole trip that day was i think one of the you know top five most physically uncomfortable or scary experiences in my life getting stranded in a blizzard on small dirt roads and I suppose we haven't quite introduced this whole concept I was going to say funnily enough riding with another person for the first time meeting him for the first day because my whole shtick as to why I'm on the tandem is to really kind of meet people on the way and and invite them along for as long as they'd like whether that's an hour or a day or a week or a month and I've got all the gear for them my little selling pitch to any person that's thinking about it is if you can bring your clothes and a toothbrush, then I've got the rest for you and, mm. and you're welcome to come as long as you'd like. So, yeah, that day I was with a lovely guy from the state of Idaho named Alec. We just met and, yeah, our first day on the bike together, departed out into pouring rain, climbed over a very large pass except taking some very small dirt roads uh, which just thinned and thinned and thinned until eventually we could follow them no longer due to fallen trees and it's just really one of those situations where all the wrong factors aligned in one day of ignorance on our part of not checking the forecast which was not only getting colder from our elevation going up but also a cold front was rolling through and, and before you know it, we're in a really bad spot with numb hands and feet stuck in snow i was really unable to change gear or brake which was quite nerve-wracking but <laughs> We eventually kind of picked our way through the forest and found our way back down to I-90, the interstate, and were lucky enough to get picked up by a passing driver at that point. And mm. I wasn't really aware of what mental state I was in. I was very aware of my physical state, but my mental state was kind of unknown to me until 
getting in the car with this really friendly guy and I, I really can't thank him enough for pulling over and offering to help. And he asked us what we were doing out here and I remember going to explain our situation and I was unable to speak or just process my thoughts in any kind of fluent manner and and I remember just kind of this internal realization like wow I was much closer than I realized to a very bad situation there and so we sat and uh, and quite literally defrosted in the heater for 10 or 15 minutes and then had a chat to our savior wow yeah incredible how like our brain does what it does to I guess keep us in our survival mode and keep us running on that sort of base survival layer where we're in fact probably delirious as to how bad our condition really is in order to enable that mm. whole survival mechanism to exist super powerful but you know i feel like we've jumped a little bit into it and a little bit around and i want to just put a pause on this for a second because i want to tell the audience that two days ago i woke up to a message from the legendary Lucy Barnard, who I've only known for a short time myself, but we did an episode together. And yeah, Lucy is just oh, one of those beautiful souls. And when you come to meet her, when you come to know her, she's just full of life and full of appreciation for the time that we have on this earth and the possibilities that we have in this lifetime. And she sends me a message, let me know when you're awake. And then she calls me and introduces me basically to you. And I just thought to myself, how awesome that Cam on this random tandem bike trip that's going the opposite direction from north to south and this incredible woman who's doing this hiking adventure that's going from south to north are able to cross paths and are together right now. I just thought, imagine being in that room with those two legends. And so that, that was my first thought. <laughs> and then we met and obviously I um, took a liking to you immediately like you, your nature your smile your articulateness and all of this i'm thinking if i was you i'd be kind of half broken by now um having done what <laughs> you know, that wouldn't be the side that i would be conveying to people if i was in your situation so yeah a lot of respect for you but then yes let's talk a little bit about random tandem i know i explained it through the bio a little bit but i want to dive a little bit deeper from your perspective about where the idea came from and why yeah so i haven't actually done a whole lot of travel in my life despite what i'm doing right now when i was um in my mid to early 20s i'd never been outside of australia which is by no means a bad thing it's a lovely country but I remember thinking, man, I've really kind of left this a bit late. What would be a really interesting kind of truthful, for lack of a better word, way of seeing the world of not just trying to kind of be a, a tourist, so to speak, but really kind of get a sincere appreciation of other cultures and places. And, and where I landed is, you know what, I'm going to buy a bicycle and go cycle around a bunch of countries in Europe for eight months, which is what I did. The reason for the bicycle, I think, the idea at the time is that it felt like it really finds the best of both worlds between hiking and riding, where hiking is, you can't get more genuine of an experience than walking, being on your own two feet under your own steam. But there's, of course, the limitation of how far you can get. And I realise Lucy is one incredible exception to that rule. She is somehow covering two continents on her own feet. But generally speaking, hiking is pretty hard to go a long way and see a lot. Whereas cars have the opposite situation of you can go really anywhere you want, no problem, but 
are you going to have the authentic experience of the small points in between? Like you said earlier, of keeping your vision open for any kind of little happenstance encounter, such as finding a little owl in the shoulder. And so biking kind of is the nice melting point between those two. I wouldn't really consider myself a cyclist. It's not much of a hobby of mine, but travel-wise, it really just feels like the perfect little amalgamation. So I did that. Um, that lasted for eight months, uh, which was a really just absolutely wonderful and beautiful experience. And it was on that that I was thinking, gosh, this is, I knew I'd enjoy this, but this is even better than I realized. What would be the extreme of this? Like if I was to try and take this to the furthest possible point on this planet, what kind of point to point exists? And I fairly quickly landed on just simply through looking at a globe, not through much research, but just kind of poking around a little a little globe that there is a very nice line that exists from the northern point of North America, as you said, Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, down to Ushuaia in Argentina, which is about 30,000 kilometers. They're almost entirely linked by road, except for a very small section between Panama and Colombia, and that really kind of represented this very appealing journey. But that really, I think, only answers one half of the question, which is why travel by bike on this journey? The second half is why on earth would you buy a tandem bicycle and invite random strangers to come with you? And um, this was never the original intent. The original intent was that I would do it on a conventional single bicycle, just like I rode around Europe on. And then I, I had it all booked and ready to go, the plane tickets booked for 2020, um, the bicycle ready to go. And of course, a little something happened in 2020 that we all are aware ground the world to a halt. I remember the start of the pandemic thinking, um, gosh, this is rough, but it's not like airlines are going to shut down. I'll, I'll still just fly there and I'll do this responsibly and safely in regards to the pandemic. But it was really a, an unprecedented situation because lo and behold, the airlines shut down. So at this point, indefinitely delaying that this trip, I really felt so down. I felt incredibly fragile. And I remember thinking this could so easily not happen. You know, life marches on and to be so persistent to do this in years and hold back other aspects of life, that may not be the best option. So I did what may, be, uh, an, what may have been an irresponsible decision, but turned out to be wonderful. I said, you know what, I'm going to find a way to find a silver lining here. I want to find a way to still do this trip in a way that excites me even more and really kind of embrace the whole concept of bicycle touring is, but even further. So land on the idea of the tandem bike and I often tell people that the reason for the tandem is 50% is selfish and 50% selfless, which I've said for a long time, but I think it's still kind of held true, starting off with the selfish reason, which is that for as lovely as bike touring is, the big flaw is that there is a lot of solitude. There is a lot of time on your own. And that's not to say that that's a bad thing. In fact, it can be an incredibly helpful and healthy thing. But at the end of the day, you know, it's like a balanced diet, all things in moderation. And at a point where you've been riding day after day, sometimes week after week with your most meaningful interaction being, can I please get <laughs> this Coke and packet of lollies from the supermarket? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you really kind of lust for, you know, I wish I could share this with someone else. And so that was, you know, what I consider the selfish reason behind the tan and to kind of be in company throughout this and, and changing company as well to kind of get to, really kind of have this interesting way of getting to know someone for better or for worse intimately well in a quite a short period of time and then there's the other reason what you could call the selfless reason which is that 
through the ride in Europe, the last four months was through Eastern Europe, which the countries through there are not quite as much first world countries as many of the Central and Western European countries. And so through there, I met lots of people through Croatia, Montenegro, Bosnia, Serbia, Hungary, who just said, this is wonderful. I wish I could come and join you on something like this on my own bike, but I just don't have the means. You know, we are living in a kind of a paycheck to paycheck type situation. And this is wonderful, but it, it doesn't really represent something that I think I could do. So, so the other really nice aspect that's been really quite infinitely rewarding is to be able to to share this with people who might not otherwise have jumped on a bike or even even broader than that might not have even kind of taken a step outside their comfort zone to go and see other parts of the world. Enjoying the episode so far? Be sure to follow us and leave us a review on whichever podcast platform you're listening on. Thanks and enjoy the rest of the episode. Mm, yeah, and that's probably the bit that I think I found most profound. Yeah, sure, there's that selfless side of it. Of course, you need to mitigate the isolation bit and make this as fun a journey as possible but when i read that you're inviting anyone who wants to come along and also not just inviting them but having room for them you know having a bag for them having a kit for them you know them not really needing anything else in order to join you like to go to that extent that's the next level you're giving someone absolutely no excuse to say no to this (laughs) yeah i really love that Because, I mean, for me, I felt the appreciation that you had for the opportunities to turn something down or say no to an adventure. And that with that appreciation, you approached this and you went, you know what? I know there are people out there that might not be ready, that might not have the resources, the courage, whatever it is to do this. But I'm going to make it as easy as possible to give someone a potentially life-changing experience. And I love that. Yeah, that's... um. I knew coming into this journey that everything you just said there was very true and applied to me, but still I found myself really shocked at how much of the value, how much of the meaning of what I'm doing has wound up coming from that. Like I kind of, before starting, felt like I'm really looking forward to seeing these places in the world and isn't it nice that I also get to see it with others? You know, it's kind of like a a simpatico part of you know, value comes equally from both. But really, since I've kind of been over here and now I'm significantly into this journey, it's really for as beautiful as the places I'm going through are and the cultures that I'm experiencing are as well. Every time I kind of feel nostalgic or some kind of special feeling about what I'm up to, it's always relating to the fact that God, this is really fun and really cool. And, and more than that, it's it's really meaningful to be able to share this with others. Like my youngest person who's joined me has been 15. The oldest has been 82. There's been people from all different kinds of backgrounds. Some people who have done absolutely zero bike touring and are just saying, you know what, this sounds great. In fact, the person who joined me for the longest distance for nearly 2,000 kilometers, had zero, absolutely zero bike touring experience. And he just said exactly what you just said a moment ago. There's no reason to say no to this, so let's give it a go. And it's really been just incredibly meaningful and special to me. And and I've been really surprised at how meaningful it's felt to others as well. I, I kind of started this thing thinking that the value was kind of in the fun of it. But then I've got a journal I keep where I ask everyone that rides with me to fill out at the end, kind of like a hotel guest book. 
And there's just been some things in there that have been just so incredibly beautiful and have moved me to tears with just saying, like, Cam, this hasn't just been a fun kind of romp on a bike for me. Like, this has been incredibly special and something I'll never forget. And there's been friends who I've made through jumping on the seat that I know I'll be friends with for the rest of my life as well. So it's really kind of been the secret sauce that I honestly wasn't expecting it to be. And, yeah, I couldn't be more thankful for the way that's played out. Mm. Shiva's right there when you talk because I heard you at the beginning talk about the whole thing about feeling like you'd left traveling really late in your life and I'm thinking gosh I just read in your bio that you were 29 and for a lot of people yeah that would be late by Australian standards when you go on your gap year at the age of 18 or 19 yeah it's late but then uh, to me it sounds like the ordinary travel isn't what you seek in, you know, <laughs> in, in this life. It's more about the meaningful experiences and maximizing the potential of that. And maybe, yeah, that first trip to Europe with the bike, it helped you realize that. But now you're there. You've got to that point where you know the recipe for having these things that people write movies about, Kev. <laughs> You know, we have Hollywood. Thank writers. you. Yeah, it's it's quite funny actually. That whenever it comes up that this is the second time I've been overseas in my life, it's kind of been uh, it's kind of been this experience of doing it very very rarely, but but very big each time. Mm. Um, and you're definitely right. The first time really kind of was the eye opener, and then this is kind of the leaning into that and trying to dial it up to eleven which is not to poo-poo conventional travel in any means. There's many, many days on this trip of simply just hanging out in an Airbnb and enjoying all of the luxuries of the reason why everyone, including me, likes to see the world. But I think to kind of summarise what this mode of transport has opened my eyes to is a way of getting very authentic experiences regularly. And authentic doesn't mean good, but it means true. There's a beauty in finding a way to have true and authentic experiences regularly and feel regularly touched, even if sometimes that also means regularly uncomfortable even in the company of someone you don't enjoy. That's not, you know, because I've had 24 people on the bike so far. Almost all of them have been absolute winners, absolute wonderful time. But sometimes this mode of travel illuminates to you very quickly and very sincerely. You know what? Me and this person, we're, we're just not a fit. <laughs> and again, there's even for the aspects of that that might be uncomfortable, the special part is that it's authentic and that both people feel that deep down, even if what you're feeling isn't necessarily always pleasurable. Mm. Yeah, I feel like when I was reading your about page and then watching that video that I referred to earlier on your YouTube channel, which please everyone, as soon as you finish this episode, go and check that out. One of the things that I wrote down in my notes is that the risk of having a terrible time to possibly enable having an incredible experience is really, you know, one of the hallmarks of this whole adventure that you like you're literally stuck on the same bike with someone. Like you couldn't even ride off. It's not like two separate bikes where you can just ride off on each other for a little bit to have some time alone. And I think that's fraught with so much potential misery, <laughs> if I will, but also... No, very fair. And, and, you know, of course, you put it in such a beautiful way that 
you know, most most of them have been winners and that it's also brought about these incredible human, true experiences, as you put it, sincere experiences. You know, I think it takes a lot of courage to do something like that. And the other thing that I was thinking just then is like, God, what an amazing person to be doing this because not only did you have the courage to have the idea and to see it through, which is already like many steps further than people get with these kinds of ideas, but also to risk potentially a lot of your tandem partners not being so great. But then you have this, like I said, you're such a great storyteller that you literally are the most perfect person to be doing this. And I can just see... obviously you've been on the news as well i'm not sure whether that was in canada or or in the united states Um, that was canada oh was it yeah and i'm watching that episode three and i'm thinking they're gonna make a movie about this guy like they (laughs) like some hollywood writer is going to come knocking on your door at some point or there's a book deal coming out of this because just of the true nature of it it's absolutely raw and it's so joyful as well even in the parts where you and alec Uh, the bit that you described earlier with Alec where it was just miserable it was one of the hardest days that you've experienced on this whole adventure and I think you had the camera on Alec most of the time and he was kind of telling the story or his side of the story and he was just telling it with a smile and then you were telling your bit with a smile and it's like these two guys talking about this life risking life-threatening experience but like the way that you tell it with such a smile you know that's unique in itself that's special thank you and i think to speak to that a lot of where that kind of joy and reverie comes from is purely in having bonded with someone over sharing an experience like that and it's not even in the big ways it's not even necessarily in the big ways of getting stuck in a blizzard with someone and going numb and blah 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 but every single day the person on the back seat is making themselves physically completely vulnerable and putting their trust in me because sitting on the back seat you have no brakes you have no gears you have no steering and you also can't even really see what's ahead because when you look ahead you see the back of my head and neck and shoulders and that's about it so so they're really kind of at your mercy and it's much the same on my side as well in terms of just simply learning to pedal together because the pedals are always in sync and, of course, the balance, which is the main aspect. And every day that you do that, there's this kind of unspoken thing that we arrive at camp each night and there's this kind of unspoken, unknown to the conscious aspect of knowing we're here because of each other. I'm here because you have guided me through this and you're here because I have as well. It's this mutual kind of sharing of trust and faith and responsibility in one another which is usually not something that comes between two strangers of course and and that experience with Alec in the snow was really that dialed up to 11 where we sometimes stopped and then kind of in the shivering in the cold would say what are we going to do and we disagreed on the main decision do we turn back and go all the way back to where we started Or do we go off trail and kind of find our way down to the interstate? I was in favour of going back. Alec was in favour of let's go through the bush and look for the interstate. So to even have those kind of situations where it comes to the fore and to know that for as much as we're both suffering here, for as much as we don't have a long-standing rapport of knowing each other, we're in it, you know, like it or not, right now we're in it. And so we're all we've got. Let's lean into that. And in the end, um, we went with Alec's decision to to go through the bush and find I-90 and that was absolutely the right decision because we found our way there, we got to where we were going safely 
and yeah, it's it's really I think part of the beauty of, of this is not just that you get to know someone through talking or anything like that, but you get to know them intimately well in the sense that you are relying on each other and and that relying on each other for physical safety, for support, to you know just to talk over problems you might have in the evening over a campfire, and that's really I think what's kind of at the base of a lot of the the very kind of real and sincere friendships that I've built with these people and yeah you're kind of each other's everything for a short period of time yeah I think Chris put it really well in that video where he said two strangers getting together working towards a common objective and I think oh god the world is so bereft of the desire to work together with a stranger that when you see it and it works it's just beautiful and I'll touch on Chris a a little bit more and your experience while you were with Chris a little later but I kind of want to just switch it up a little bit because I just want to talk a little bit about the logistics of getting yourself to Alaska and getting the bike there or did you have it there and all of that and then take us through a little bit of the geographical route that you've taken. Absolutely. So I'll start off with the geographical and then I'll, I'll bring it into the bike and the Alaska and the travel part but in terms of the geography of the journey, to really simplify it, the further you get from the equator, both north and south, the more sparsely populated it gets. And that's true in the region I'm currently heading to, down the bottom of South America, around Patagonia. And it was very true, of course, for Alaska, known as the final frontier for many very obvious, very true reasons. But then when you're looking within Alaska and you're looking at, you know, Alaska's the northern state, but what's in the north of the north? What's in northern Alaska? Well, the first section, that is running from the northernmost point that is accessible by roads, which is Prudhoe Bay, Alaska. And to get from there to the next town or city of any kind is Fairbanks, Alaska, which is 850 kilometres, roughly 500 miles to the south. And first off, getting to Prudhoe Bay, because at Prudhoe Bay, there is not much at all. It's, I think it's at a latitude of around 70 degrees north. And once you're at latitudes that high, there is no trees, there is barely any shrubs. I remember in, you know, in my thinking on it at the time was that everything in Prudhoe Bay, anything that is higher than your knees, is either a man-made structure or an animal. It's really just this big, desolate plain of kind of low-lying shrubbery. And what is up there is built around crude oil extraction. So the infrastructure in Prudhoe Bay is really built around the crude oil extraction. And so flying there, they do have a, a large airport, thankfully. So I departed from Perth on uh, June 13th, 2022, and flew to Fairbanks, Alaska, which took uh, four flights. And the reason I went to Fairbanks and not straight up to Prudhoe to begin is that I'd been really, really lucky to find my first backseat partner before the journey began. And not only before the journey began, but two years before the journey began, because when I cancelled the trip in 2020, I got so excited that I just jumped immediately on kind of the, yep, let's get this ball rolling and went to a, a website where cyclists hosts other cyclists passing through. The website's called Warm Showers. Messaged everyone in Fairbanks saying, um, I'm Cam, this is my idea. You know, let's ride a tandem together. And the part I would like to recruit you for is the Dalton Highway, which is the section from Prudhoe Bay back to Fairbanks. And for the reasons that I'll explain very shortly, this is a challenging ride. It's 850 kilometers with no towns, really no nothing on a very, very bumpy gravel road 
with mud that infamously turns to hard clay when it sticks to your bike on roads that are incredibly steep, not only hard to ride up in the lowest gear, but hard to ride down as well. It's really just this kind of dirt access road for trucks that are going up and down as part of the, the crude oil extraction up there. So anyway, I messaged everyone in Fairbanks and um, I'm going to make up some numbers to give you a rough idea, but I sent out, let's say, 30 messages to 30 people. Of those 30, I got about 15 responses. Of the 15 responses, 40, 14 of them were very polite no's, saying, this sounds great, I'm happy to host you, but for one reason or another, maybe it's because of the pandemic, maybe it's because, of course, we're strangers, duh, <laughs> or maybe it's because it's a difficult ride, no thank you. And then I got the one emphatic, excited yes from a lovely guy up there named Danny Egan. And Danny received that when he was on his own trip in absolute chaos. His trip had fallen to pieces. He was passing through an airport. And it's in that week where all the flights were getting cancelled. And to get on board a flight was insanely hard. It would cost you five times what it normally would cost. And he and his family were passing through this airport, I believe in Northern Africa, could be wrong on that. And he said to them, everyone stop for a sec. I've got this email from this weird, crazy Australian guy and I've got to say yes to him before someone else in Fairbanks says yes and snags my spot. So I got this wonderful email back from Danny saying, Cam, don't know you, but this sounds great. I'm on board, can't say much right now. My travels are falling to pieces. We're going from airport to airport, but I'm in. And two years later, when I arrived in Fairbanks, there was Danny waiting for me, ready to go. And we were really quick, fast friends. And uh, you asked about how I flew the bike there. So there's some good news and bad news. The good news is the bike is actually quite easy to transport because it has what are called couplers on the frame, where the frame can actually separate down into three distinct pieces. So there's nothing bigger than a wheel. These are not really needed on a conventional single bicycle. You can travel with a single bicycle. Most people are surprised by this. You can travel with a single bicycle on an airline just as if it's a piece of baggage. The airline does not care that it's a bike. It won't cost you anything more as long as it's not too heavy. But the issue with a tandem is that you can take the wheels off. You can take the handlebars off. You can do whatever you want. But at the end of the day, that frame is long. And it's too long. It's too long for most airlines. And so thankfully, the good news is the tandem broke apart in a way that was very easy to transport simply as luggage. But the bad news is the airline lost it. And I arrived to Alaska feeling simultaneous elation and excitement at, oh my God, this journey I've been planning for the last five years of my life that is represents a core part of my identity. It's beginning. This is day one. And simultaneous while holding that in my head was a contradictory thought on the other side. Oh my God, it's all fallen to pieces. The bike is gone. My trip is over. And the reason for this is, I mean, usually airlines will return your bags quite easily and quickly. But the reason for my panic is that I realized it was lost in LA and the airlines had no record of it existing. When I called them up, they said, sorry, sir, the bag you're talking about does not have a number. I got all this contradictory information and all signs pointed towards its history. It's disappeared. Of course, needless to say, I did get it back, but it took longer than expected. It took eight days. And by the time it arrived, it had gone over to Hawaii People in Hawaii had no idea what it was for. They finally figured out it was, of course, for me. And then they went to send it back to my home address in Perth, Western Australia, and just did a quick confirmation check on that address by calling me finally. And I said, no, no, not Perth, Alaska, please, Fairbanks. And of course, we got the bike back. 
So now uh, seven or eight days into the trip after arriving, the bike arrives. Yeah. The next day, literally the next day, Danny and I book our flights up to Prudhoe Bay, mm. which is two flights from Fairbanks down to Anchorage and then Anchorage up to Prudhoe Bay. Then we reassembled the bike. Thankfully, this process all went quite easily and naturally. And then, uh, you know, it was, I said earlier, day one when I arrived in Alaska, but not really. The true day one was the arrival in Prudhoe. And Danny and I quickly found out that we got on like a house on fire, which was especially wonderful, especially necessary because boy, did we struggle. We were cycling every day from about 8.30 in the morning until about midnight. You hear that and you think, oh, that's not very wise cycling into the nighttime. No, nighttime. It's it's Alaska in midsummer. That sun's up there all day and night. It's it's blue, blue skies. So we, uh, yeah, we we really made use of that at expense of some some sleep, of course. But um, yeah, we we really struggled on that. But partly as a result of that struggle, really bonded as well. But of course, not just because of the struggle, but because we really kind of found the likeness in each other. And it took eight days to arrive back to Fairbanks. Um, over that stretch, I, I didn't weigh myself at the beginning or end, but I know I lost quite a bit of weight. I got quite a bit more fit because I began this trip with no physical training. Um, I really just kind of thought I'll get fit while I do it, which is valid in a way, but not the most wise of ideas when your opening stint is among the hardest stretches on the whole journey. And, uh, and we arrived back in Fairbanks feeling absolutely elated. I thought I'd be in Fairbanks for two or three days before the trip began, you know, arrive in Fairbanks and get cracking. But we just got on so well. He's got the most kind, wonderful, beautiful family that I got on with as well. And I spent nearly a month in Fairbanks after I arrived back with Danny and eventually found my second partner. We departed from Fairbanks and continued on from there. Mm, yeah, I'm looking at uh, your website at the moment and can and looking at the little red squiggly line that you've drawn from Alaska to Argentina. And wow. But yeah, if the bike could talk, I mean, it sounds like the bike had its own adventure, even prior to <laughs> getting to Alaska. And of course, an adventure like this couldn't get off without a hitch of some sort. But I loved your story around the partners, you know, the emailing 30 15 responses, 14 emphatic no's and one emphatic yes. It just shows that you know when something is meant to be. And I love Danny's story. <laughs> you know, wherever he was in the world, that he just had to quickly email you. And for him, it was just a hard yes. You know, what an amazing serendipitous beginning to a journey for the both of you. Um, I think it got off to the right start. And I guess you would have felt the same that no matter what happened after that, that the experience that you began with Danny, you knew that you'd made the right decision, I suppose. Could have been completely Absolute. opposite, I could imagine. Yeah. To be honest, I was really completely spoiled with those first eight days. Aside from, of course, the issue with the bike getting lost, it went off without a hitch. It was just so, so wonderful. And I, during those eight days, I didn't really have a much in the way of time or the space of mind to kind of reflect on what we were doing. But immediately upon arriving back, I remember we arrived back mid-afternoon, absolutely wrecked, completely exhausted, slept many, many hours that night. And I remember waking up the next day and lying in bed. The first time I really kind of had a moment with my own thoughts after having begun this journey and thinking, oh my God, like not only is this happening, this is something special. This is just so wonderful. 
And gosh, I really remember in my gut, in my bones, how excited I felt at that point, knowing I'm not just here because I've persevered in stubbornness to do something that I've set out to do. You know, that's true, but the stubbornness and, and perseverance, maybe potentially just through luck, really, of just kind of committing yourself to the right cause has kind of really taken me to a good place. And yeah, I was so spoiled with those first eight days with Danny, but still, it was just, it was so wonderful thereafter. I've like I said, I've had 24 partners in total up until this point. There's a whole bunch more lined up. That's been an interesting part of, you know, more people eventually kind of finding out about this is yeah. I, I thought most of the people that joined me would be kind of quite happenstance. Like you kind of bump into someone and they say, yeah, I'll, I'll join you for a bit. And this relates to what I was saying earlier in terms of the meaning that other people derive from this. I thought I didn't realize would be as deep as it is. Mm-hmm. And, and how that relates here is that there are currently four people all the way back home in Australia who have said, Cam, you know what? I'm coming over, mate. I'm flying over yeah. from Australia. I'm going to meet you in this place. You just tell me when I need to be there and what I need to bring. And I'm on board for X time. You know, there's, yeah. there's two people ahead of me who are joining me for a month or more. And um, it's really been great to see what that means to other people as well. If you haven't already, find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or TikTok, where you can catch additional content and grace us with your thoughts. Thanks again and enjoy the rest of the episode. Mm. So... Actually, one of the things that I failed to do for our audience was just give them context around where you are at the moment, and that's Costa Rica, right? Yeah, that's yeah. correct, in uh, South Costa Rica. Yes, where yourself and Lucy have kind of intersected on your two separate journeys. But just going back to that, the route side of things. So you're going from Alaska. The obvious route seems to be that you're wanting to do this in relatively a straight line with whatever detours might need to happen along the way for the fun of it even. So you, I would imagine that you're traveling down the west coast of Canada and the west coast of the United States. Is that kind of yes. what it's looked like? Yes, so uh, that's a pretty good assumption. Um, so down through Canada on the west side, that's absolutely correct. Uh, that's what I did. It was wonderful. That's what I would do again in hindsight. Through the United States, I had a bit of a different idea in theory, which didn't pan out. But the idea, and I will admit this was, was a bit of a silly idea, but I wanted to arrive into the United States in the Northwest, uh, crossing over from Vancouver, headed down to Seattle. So that's right on the West Coast, of course. But from Seattle to via east instead of continuing south. So from Seattle in Washington, going east through Idaho, Montana, down through Wyoming, Colorado, going no further east than Colorado, but kind of doing a big C shape. And then from Colorado, roughly making my way back towards the West Coast around Los Angeles. The idea from that came from uh, really kind of feeling quite excited about getting among the some of the areas of the Rocky Mountains. Uh, I will admit that I didn't have enough of an appreciation of just how much elevation was involved there. But my big ignorance, my big flaw here and the reason why it didn't pan out, and this is where stories collide, is that when Alec and I got trapped in that snowstorm going east, we'd just departed Idaho, we'd entered Montana, and we were not there at the right month. You know, we, this was now the tail end of what is known as fall in the US. And so really the, the early winter weather was arriving. And, and what I had failed to do in my research is to look at what kind of temperatures are, are typical in those regions at that time. And it was really just quite silly and irresponsible for me to try and go through there. So I still gave it, of course, a red hot crack, got all the way through Washington, got through Idaho 
just poked my nose into Montana with Alec and we were one day past that horrible day in the snow and I was, you know, we were just sitting in the campsite in the morning and there was this kind of unspoken conversation that we were having, you know, we, we could hear the rain outside. We were very, very aware, obviously, of the cold and misery that we'd just been through mm. and we were kind of just looking at each other, eating breakfast, not really saying much, but I could tell that we were both thinking, should we be doing this? Should we, should we really be plowing on? And so, you know, at some point it... it Alec brought it up lightly of course he was he was very good and respectful in not wanting to sway me too far from any of my plans or what have you but we had a look at the weather forecast and at this point I was trying to to head down to Jackson and uh, had a look at the weather in Jackson and it was not only freezing it was very far below freezing and being from Western Australia I don't have a whole lot of experience around snow or cold temperatures I'm just a a silly warm weather kid that is ignorant to the uh, to the nature of, of cold temperatures and snow. And I learned very quickly that cycling in snow is is really just not possible. Not unless you're on a bike that is designed for that. But a tandem is pretty much as far as you could possibly get from a bike that is designed to cycle in snowy conditions. Let alone, of course, the difficulty of, of camping and sleeping through the cold. Mm. So um, at this point, we pulled the pin. Uh, we got a lift. We essentially just did everything in reverse. So I we got a lift back to Alex's place that we departed three days earlier. Right. And then I caught a bus back to Seattle where I just departed from. The big upshot of this, though, was, of course, that one of the strongest and best connections that I've really made, and I don't want to say strongest and best as if there's some kind of a, a ranking, you know, yeah, they're all yeah, kind of sure. beautiful and unique in their own way, but I really had this wonderful experience with a man named Chris who lives uh, in Kirkland, very near Seattle, and so a nice upshot was that um, Chris and I had already finished our section together, but pulling the pin and going back to Seattle to kind of re-intersect my path and go down the West Coast, mm. which is, of course, what you assumed and where I wound up doing mm. there was the added benefit of getting to spend another four days with chris his wife kim and his and his two kids maddie and ellie that was just a really wonderful kind of part of that and it was interesting to observe my own thoughts as well i think had it been years before around the time that i'd been doing the european thing i really would have been quite devastated to have altered my plans mm. to have tried this thing through the east and failed but it's interesting to have a bit more maturity and, and I don't want to call myself old here. I'm currently 30, which is still by many accounts quite young. But in those convening years from then till now to really kind of feel at peace with you know, this is the way that things should go and to do anything else would be irresponsible and just not good. So, um, oh. yeah, I, I found myself back with Chris and his family and the interesting part is, you know, I just bailed on part of my trip and I felt amazing. I felt wonderful. It was to be back in a household with a lot of love and then to still be continuing on down the West Coast. And, and an added benefit from this is the West Coast is full of cities, you know, full of very populous places with plenty of people who are kind of open to the idea of jumping on a tandem with a stranger. Mm. So I went south from Seattle down the West Coast and had a an immediate string of people jumping on the bike for two or three days at a time. And it was just great. Just cycled through, you know, this wonderful connection with one person for two or three or four days. Mm. And they're off and then another one, another one, another one. And that was really wonderful. So so in the end, your assumption of the West Coast was exactly correct in terms of what I did do. But it was, uh, I just took a little bit of a roundabout path to get there. Yeah, that's wild. I guess it's a good time to talk about the second time in the 30-minute episode that I cried. And you mentioned Chris and... 
Um, one of the things that you were fortunate to have happened to you while you were with Chris was that um, he introduced you to his local bike shop, Element Cycles, and the team there, Jake, Nick, and Ryan, spent, I think, a whole day of their time really servicing your bike. And I think that's one of the things that maybe I took for granted or even someone listening right now might take for granted that, yes, you are on a bike and it has parts that deteriorate um, through you know just normally through a journey but because none of us really cycle the the length of the earth we don't really understand how quickly bike parts can deteriorate and how perfectly good bikes can turn to shit pretty quickly and so yeah the bit that made me cry most was that i guess the generosity piece that you touched on through that interaction and it's been something i've been a little bit obsessed with since i spoke to Lempy in episode two of the podcast probably an episode that you haven't quite got to yet but um i haven't worked through the back catalog that far i'm afraid (laughs) um yeah she said something that has really stuck with me she said something like our parents are always warning us about the danger of strangers but it's in the times when you have no one else and you're alone that it's only strangers that can come to your aid And not only did these guys come to your aid, they really did something really profoundly beautiful for you and gave up their time and their money, I guess, in parts to help you on your way. Like those kinds of interactions are what I live for. And that was really special. Absolutely. I really can't overstate how much love and appreciation I have for the guys there at Element who, who really helped me out in that case. And of course, it was the charge was led by the manager called Ty and yeah they were all kind of mates of chris and they'd through him riding with me had you know he'd shared the story and they'd all got kind of this real big dose of of secondhand excitement from seeing and knowing that he'd be joining me for a stretch and as i understand it they kind of put their heads together and said you know what let's do something for these guys or, or for cam that's really at the extent of what we can do in our role here and so it was kind of a bit of a it was not a bit of a surprise it was a complete surprise to me um Chris was was in on it a little bit more. He said, Cam, let's let's put the bike in the car and go to the bike shop and we'll be there for opening. So we got there for opening, you know, as they're turning the the sign from close to open. Mm -hmm. But despite that, all three mechanics dedicated themselves to my bike for the whole day from open to close and everything that could possibly be replaced was replaced. Um, I was having a massive issue up until that point with soreness in my hands Mm. And I completely misdiagnosed the issue. I thought that um, it was just the nature of being on the front seat of a tandem and the amount of small corrections you make to balance using the, mm. the twist of the handlebars resulted in this in- incredible kind of pain in my hands that I often needed to stop and shake out. And, mm. and I, I don't think I ever would have found it had those guys not taken it in and, and they pulled the headset of the bike apart, essentially where the handlebars connect to the frame and said, my gosh, this joint here that's meant to be essentially lubricated by these by these rotating wall bearings, it's just been ground to dust. And when you turn the handlebars left and right, you know, it's like rotating one cinder block on top of the other. There's, you know, there's a whole heap of friction there. Mm. And, and that's just one of many, many things. And so, yeah, we, uh, Chris and I departed on the bike from there and, and both of us could just not keep saying, my gosh, this feels completely different. Mm. And I, I don't want to minimise what those guys did 
by any means. It's probably the the single greatest act of kindness I've received on this. But mm. my gosh, it's so humbling to see so consistently so many, so many, and so consistently so many acts of kindness mm. from just everyone. It's it you know if there's one thing that I come away from this trip with, you know one one change in perspective, one kind of deep down felt truth it's the value of kindness and not just the value but the prevalence you know like it's so easy to to get swept up with world events and really believe that we're all out for ourselves and Mm. that the world is full of this kind of you know hunter-gatherer mentality of you know Mm. i have my tribe you have yours and and never the twain shall meet and we shall defend what we hold true but no deep down within all of us every single one there's just this really beautiful kind of instinct to care Mm. for those around us especially when they're exposed or struggling and what the medium of the bike really brings out is that so often people see you in a state of exposure maybe they just Mm. see you cycling in the cold maybe they see you stopped and changing a flat tire and i just can't overstate the number of times and this is true this is not hypothetical it's dead true the number of times someone drives past and pulls over and says, follow me to my house. You're welcome to stay with me tonight. I'll cook Mm. you dinner. You look like you could really use it. Mm. In the European one, all through Bosnia, people were pulling over and offering me jackets off their back Mm. because I was ill-equipped for the cold. You can see a recurring issue there, five Mm. years apart, but but the the silly Western Australian does not learn (laughs) his lessons about the cold weather. Um, Yeah, it's and, and I really mean that. The one true thing that, the most deeply held belief that I will come away from this is just how much humanity is in a good state. And that's not to belittle the the issues in the world that are certainly very present and very real, but who we are in our core selves has a real inherent beauty and and a real maternal, paternal instinct to care for each other that's that's there in all of us. And, And on a bike or on foot hiking like Lucy's doing, of course, you see that so consistently and it's deeply moving and very, very profound and beautiful. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really glad that you gave it the lip service it deserved, honestly, because it is one of the more underrated parts of the human experience is the generosity we receive and the kindness and just sort of listening to you talk and, you know, especially when you were touching on you know, these notions that we have about, you know, this hunter-gatherer and and my tribe versus your tribe and, you know, stay in my lane and you stay in yours kind of thing. And yeah, maybe it is for good reason at times. We also do need to protect ourselves from potential dangers, sure. But I I was kind of just thinking there while you were talking that if you want to be a kind person, you have to experience kindness first. You know, thinking to your future self, I'm thinking you will return to Western Australia knowing what true kindness looks like and being able to exercise it and give it to someone else, pass on the baton, if you will, because you've experienced it, if that makes sense. And I think Mm. at the same time as, you know, people say, and my most recent guest, Dad Cummings said, you know, hurt people hurt people. At the same time, it's people that have experienced that full spectrum of kindness and generosity from other people that know what it looks like, that know how to give it. So I guess in, a, in life a lot, we put so much pressure on ourselves to make up what something should look like. But if you really want to know how to be kind to someone, you first need to put yourself in a situation where you're fully reliant 
on feeling that kindness yourself. Yeah, I would 100% agree with everything you said there. And, and kindness really kind of falls in the same bucket as love, I believe. And so you don't necessarily need to have experienced a whole bunch of these kind of acts of kindness like I'm talking about, but just to draw on feelings of love and appreciation that you may have for anyone in your life and and to kind of know the deep warmth that that brings you inside and know that that warmth you can give to other people really often without much effort. It, you know, like often some of the most profound things that people have offered me sometimes it just it can be so little. Mm. You know, the riding the Dalton Highway with Danny, I so remember how much we were struggling on one uphill when a truck rounded the hill at the top, stopped, and we couldn't see the trucker through the glare on his windshield. We really, you know, we were separated. It was just this big lumbering vehicle. And then out of the open window comes a hand with two icy cold bottles of water. And that's a, a vision and a feeling that is still so true within me. And you know what? All that trucker had to do was just tap the brakes and hold out a couple of bottles that, you know, cost two or three bucks. And it's really, it's not only beautiful, but it's exciting to know that you can really make such a profound effect on someone's life with nothing more than a bit of intention. All it takes is intention. It doesn't necessarily take means. It does not take money. It often does not take time. But just the intention is enough to bring someone so much warmth that they'll never forget. And we all know how special that is because no matter how we've grown up, no matter what life we're living now, we all know that warmth. We all know a feeling of love and appreciation and of kindness, even if those moments may have been fleeting or in a situation in the past, we all know that. And it's a really so special to see on this how, how easily we can give that to each other. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of a post that I saw the other day on Insight Timer that said, a problem shared is a problem halved and joy shared is joy doubled or something along those lines, which is really a beautiful way of looking at it because it's so true. And then while you were just talking then as well, I had this other like light bulb moment about the currency of kindness and how the exchange actually isn't even at all that kindness actually it didn't cost that trucker like you said much to stop but what you received in return was a huge thing for you and so yeah you just gave me this huge light bulb moment about the currency of kindness so that being it's like if you were to take a one dollar bill out of your wallet and give it to a stranger but in their eyes it's a 50 that's kind of what it feels like i could not agree more with what you just said and i think that's a wonderful insight it's that kindness is kind of like a filter where you put something in and what comes out the other side is so, so much more. And then we you know what's come out the other side, a little bit of that can go back through that same filter and then bang, it's come out more on the other side again. And all of a sudden one plus one somehow turned into 10,000. And yeah, I totally agree. I think that's a wonderful insight. Mm, yeah, I had this weird vision of that James Bogues advertisement from years ago where James Bogues is a beer brand based in Tasmania and that everything in Tasmania makes things better, like the water makes things better. And there's this image where this guy throws his girlfriend into the water there and she comes out of the water and she's like, you know, a supermodel and then she throws him in <laughs> the same thing happens to him. It's kind of funny. I remember that. I, I'd forgotten that ad. That's a goodie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
But then I guess going back to the path that you took and me sort of just staring at that, the map of that side of the United States, obviously going into Mexico, there was two choices that you could have made. Obviously go on to the mainland Mexico or go into Baja California side of it, which would have meant potentially cycling back up and then going down the mainland. I would have thought that going down that Baja California side uh, which is, for those that can't imagine it, it's like a little um, gulf, kind of like a little peninsula kind of area. And it would have been so tempting to absolutely do that. And at the same time that you were trekking down that side, a friend from back home flew over to join you on the ride, Declan. And I found that part of the video super fascinating. Not only because he's an actor and I was trying to think, have I seen this guy on ads before? But yeah, just because... Declan, you mentioned, had never had any experience on a bike like that or touring bikes. And he just looks like an average dude that's just probably not up for it on the surface, but he was totally up for it. And yeah, talk to us a, bit, a little bit about like that journey down through Baja, California and then Absolutely, yes. the Declan side of it. So well. um, Declan and I are good mates back home, back in Perth. And um, he's, of course, been very encouraging of, of this whole journey as I've made my way down. And then exactly as you said, he kind of said, you know what, there's, there's no reason for me to say no, I'm coming over and let's go. And to this day, he's, he's still the, the most kilometres and most time that someone has joined me for. But as you say... This is not a world that he has experience in. And he was a bit nervous about that. But none of that really matters when you are up for it mentally, which is, of course, what I'm just quoting you now saying, you know, he, he had the wherewithal inside of him to say, I'm going to give this thing a go. And so he came over and, um, you know, we very quickly went through. I've got a bit of a bit of a spiel of teaching someone to cycle a tandem bike. He took to it quite naturally. And then within two days, talk about a deep end experience, because on day one, on day one, this is friendly, this is the world we know, in, and I mean that just in terms of we were cycling through San Diego, it's kind of very similar culturally to Australia, but within that first day, we crossed over into uh, over into Mexico, which, mm. wonderful country, by the way, it's been my absolute highlight of this whole journey. But we, we crossed over into Mexico, got delayed trying to squeeze our bike through a, a turnstile, which was a whole other story that was very infuriating. Mm. But by the time we crossed over, we, we had this big stressful ride up the side of a highway and, you know, it was continuous uphill for multiple kilometres, no shoulder, you know, cars zipping by. And for Declan, this is a complete deep end experience. Mm. And there was one moment where we'd stopped on the uphill for a moment to catch our breath and have a drink of water. And I remember just looking at him, you know, kind of observing him from a distance and I see him kind of just there looking off in the middle distance and with his own thoughts. And he just starts chuckling to himself. You know, he just starts laughing, this kind of not not belly laugh, but just this little chuckle, only for him, unaware that I'm watching. And without us talking about it at all, I could see exactly what was going through mm. his head, what that laugh represented. And that laugh represented, oh, my God, mm. wow, this is something else. You know, 48 hours ago, I was hanging out with my loved ones at home and here I am on the side of a dark Mexican highway feeling a little unsafe but really doing it. <laughs> and I can't deny over those first six or seven days, from day two to day seven, Declan really, really struggled physically. And I want to differentiate physically because mentally 
he was there in it the whole time. He was physically having a very hard time, but there was no point where he broke, where he said, I'm out, where we had any kind of problem. But um, unfortunately for those who haven't ridden on a bike much and then start spending many, many hours a day on consecutive days on a bike, the sit bones within your bum really do start aching to a point that can be extremely painful. It will pretty much never result in injury uh, and you will always get over it with a period of time as he did after day six or seven. But he was really, really suffering for a long time and, and I know that feeling. And there are multiple aspects of this that were really special to me. One aspect that was really special to me is for as much as him and I are good mates back home and we know each other very well, we did not know each other in this context at all. And when I say this context, I'm not talking about traveling through Mexico together. I'm talking about we haven't really kind of gotten uncomfortable together, been in a situation where we are relying on each other, where, like I said earlier, where we are each other's everything. And that really enriched our friendship. We saw parts of each other that even though we've known each other for years, that we'd never seen before. And it came out in not weeks, not days, but just hours together. And that held beauty to me in seeing someone I knew in this whole new aspect, a whole new side of themselves that is there and kind of lives beneath the surface, but then emerges and blooms when you're in a situation of needing to rely on each other. So that was one aspect that was very special. A second aspect that was very special, and dare I say even more special to see someone go through a change in, internally within themselves, is that he was, like I said, he was really struggling. There was probably the low light for him was, you know, a day where he's in physical pain and he hardly slept at night because it was a cold night and he wasn't really used to the camping aspect yet. And he woke up really sleep deprived, physically in pain. And I remember him saying to me, Cam, everything we talk about the trip today, let's only talk about today. Because if I have to bear in mind that I am doing this to the bottom of this peninsula over the next few weeks, I think I might have a panic attack. This is so far over my head right now. Let's just do this one minute at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time. And today, we're not extending our horizon anywhere beyond this day. And of course, that's what we did. And then we did the same the next day. And then to see Declan, and, and this, this wasn't through conversation, this wasn't through a conscious stream of thought of us conversating about it, but just to just observe a change within himself that in many ways was subtle, where he went from being in pain to being tolerant of the situation, to being kind of even on both sides. And I could see in him the spark come back as he no longer needed to look inwards. His eyes were not focused internally on his own struggle but as that started to dissipate the blinkers came off and the, all of a sudden your peripherals fill in with a lot of the uniqueness and beauty that you're exposed to and by the end he was just completely in it it was beautiful we were cycling with another lady at this point named Lainey who had flown down and joined us and there was actually three of us uh, she had her own bike and so we were alternating who goes on the tandem and it was wonderful there was no more of a sense of deep end it was just swimming in the pool, you know, it was just having a great time frolicking in the water, no longer being, you know, struggling to keep your head above the water. And that's quite evident by the fact that once we reached the bottom of the peninsula, uh, he departed just to kind of to see his aunt in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico for a little while and do some other traveling. And he departed kind of not really sure if he would jump back on the bike because he still had another month of traveling. And there was an opportunity that when I eventually caught up to him and his aunt, that he'd jump back on the bike, but he wasn't sure. 
So he departed, I kept cycling. I did some cycling with Laney for a week and a half. I caught the ferry over to the mainland. I rode down to Puerto Vallarta over four days. So that's approximately two weeks. Over those two weeks, I was in very regular contact with him. And I got this really wonderful stream of consciousness from him where on day one or two apart, he was saying, Cam, this is so weird. I woke up this morning and I really missed the bike. I really missed packing up the tent and getting on it. And you know what? When I was there, even towards the end, there were the tough days. But right now, here I am in this comfortable Airbnb with a whole day of activities lined up. But you know what I want? I want to be back out there again. And as the time progressed, that feeling grew with him to the point that when I reached him two weeks later, <laughs> arriving into Puerto Vallarta, he said, you know what? Let's go. Let's cycle to Mexico City together and do another six or 700 kilometers. And so he was... It was this this really beautiful blooming, for lack of a better word, of seeing him really kind of, yeah, as I've said many times, get thrown into the deep end and, you know, it was sink or swim and he swum and he had not only got his head above water but had a great time doing it. And as I kind of said right at the beginning of this interview, arguably more important than a great time but a, a sincere, meaningful, truthful time, really kind of having that very good, genuine experience. So that was really beautiful to see as well, one of my best mates. Yeah. Yeah, I can't stop thinking about how profoundly important you have been to so many people over this journey, <laughs> like really. And then sort of Declan's the icing on the cake for that and hearing that story of his, like you said, blooming because it was just so far out of his comfort zone and there was so much struggle at the beginning. But then to see and hear Declan push through that from struggle and discomfort to joy and desire is just like, wow, like nothing changed. Yeah. The bike was the same. The road was still difficult, but he changed. And that's just amazing. Exactly. And I think what you mentioned there, the bike didn't change, the road didn't change. That really speaks to something that I often emphasize to people that, you know, the journey is not about the bike. This isn't can the cyclist convert other people to cycling by any means the bike's this really great vessel for finding a way for not other not just other people but also myself to get in these situations to connect to each other and and to see parts in the world and in others that you might not have otherwise and and at the end of the day when you say you know the bike doesn't change the road doesn't change what that makes me think is it's only a bike it's only a road what's really special happening out there is not about the bike. The special stuff that's happening is what's happening within each of us along the way. And that's the appeal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not even hidden, that appeal. You make it so apparent that all someone needs to do is stop and listen for like two minutes and they're already hooked. Like the stories that, <laughs> you know, I'm sure are told. And it would be, oh, imagine reading that guest book that you've got. Uh, <laughs> you know. I almost felt like when you mentioned it earlier, like, well, pull it out and read us some. But I don't want to do that here either because I know that we could save that. Yeah, I'll speak to the guest book and I'll speak to it not in the sense of reading anything out, but I'll, I'll elaborate on it a little bit because the truth is I've actually got two guest books. One is exactly what I described to you earlier. Every single person that, uh, that rides with me, if they do one hour or more, one hour is kind of my cutoff where I thought, you know, if someone jumps on the bike for 30 seconds to get down the block, is that an official partner? So anyone that joins for an hour is, uh, lo and behold, anointed with, with partnership <laughs> and um, goes in the book. So I just get them to sign their name. 
where they began, where they ended, how much time, how much distance, and then anything they like. So that's guestbook number one. Guestbook number two is arguably more interesting. And I thought about this for a long time before I began. I wanted a way of being able to ask not just people I ride with, but just people I connect with on some level on this journey. The same question, whether that be in Alaska, whether that be in Argentina or anywhere in between, the same question and have an interesting means of compare and contrast. You know, what does a 20-year-old in Alaska have in common or in difference with an 80-year-old from Chile in the way they respond to this? So, so my guestbook number two, and I won't really call it a guestbook, maybe more of a journal. The question at the start is, um, tell me about a time from your life which has been significant, profound, or special. So that's my question. And then there's kind of a little blurb next to that. And, and I think I can say it from memory, which is, it says, uh, this can be anything big or small, silly or serious, life-changing or life-affirming or none of the above. All I ask is that you just use two pages, left and right, and then sign off with your name, age, and the place you call home. Thank you very much for contributing to this project of mine. So as I've passed along on this journey, the guest book I give to everyone because it's quite easy. There's no obligation. You can just put two words in there. Good job if, if you just want to do a quick entry or you've got to go. But this feels like something more. You're kind of asking from someone it feels like I'm, I'm reaching in a little bit more and saying, would you be able to share with me something that really holds true for you, that really holds special meaning? And this kind of feels like an extension of getting to know someone intimately well in a short period of time, because often these are things that exist very prevalently in our head, but we very well may not ever talk about to friends, family, even, of course, to strangers. And so I think it's probably my favourite, most prized physical possession in the whole world because I've passed it around for years now. Before the trip began, when it got cancelled in 2020, I handed it around to all my friends and family and other people back in Perth. And now I've been handing it around on this as well. And I've got many, many, many entries. And there's something really special to see when the question is direct. It feels like asking someone to bear their soul. And and that's not always the case, and I don't want that to always be the case, but some people really have, and it's, it's been immensely beautiful to see uh, many of the people who have joined me on this journey, uh, many of the people who I've ridden with and others who I've connected with have really shared things that are, are incredibly special and, and beautiful and, and resulted in this journal that I, I carry around with me in, in many, many layers of waterproofing and, and shockproof cases. Uh, but nevertheless, I, I do carry it on this journey and um, it's just so so wonderful and special to get those inputs from people. Yeah. Dare I say you might need to take photographs of all of those pages as well and upload them to some Oh, I have. They're all very well photographed, photographed and photocopied and backed up on many hard drives. <laughs> yeah, that's the sort of thing that you just couldn't lose. It's a life's work. It's a gorgeous idea that you had and one that you've brought to this journey as well. And to read that journal would be something, something else for all the publishers and yeah. filmmakers out there listening right now. Wow, what an opportunity. <laughs> it's been interesting to hand it to people for their input, not only for them to provide their own input, but for them to be able to, because implicit in this whole thing is knowing that whatever you write is going to be read by others. And, of course, I'm the through line here. I know every person just based off the nature of what this is. But every person in that book certainly does not know every other person. Most or many of them don't know anyone else. And so it's been really very touching to see a lot of people who have provided their own stories in there have not just found meaning in putting pen to paper with their own thoughts, 
but have found immense meaning in reading what other people have contributed, other people who they do not know in any way, but yet despite them being this unknown person that doesn't exist beyond ink on a page, they know something intimately at the core of this person. And, you know, there's 50 or 60-odd entries in this book now, and some people read every single one insatiably because um, I'm not sure if it speaks to the desire for connection that exists within yeah. all of us, authentic yeah. connection or what, but it's um, not only special for me to see, but, but special from, for me to see what others see in it and see in, in entries from each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I really like that, that you touched on that, that desire for connection, that authentic connection i think if anything has become more apparent in the last i don't know 20 years of this um you know tech revolution and big tech really you know taking over the world if you will is that our desire to connect with one another is strong the biggest tech companies in the world bank off that and that there are far less authentic ways of doing that that have been created out of that for sure and i think that the more and i was touching on this with martin grohovsky the filmmaker the more hooked that we get on you know big tech and the more that they sell us on the ideas that in order to find a partner you've got to swipe left or right or in order to connect with your friends you you need to invite them to something on facebook the more we're starting to open our eyes to the fact that actually no those aren't real ways of connecting at all it's you know physically getting together and sometimes even with strangers and having these profound experiences and then getting a pen and some paper and then putting that in a book for life for memory and then having some complete stranger being able to read that that's authentic i love that there's so many layers to this journey my god <laughs> so many layers it's truly wonderful and i guess that sort of takes you through Mexico and then you've got a couple of other countries to get through before you get to where you are now, I suppose, in the south of Costa Rica. Yeah, that's right. I was in Mexico for quite a long time, partly because when I met back up with Declan in Puerto Vallarta and we departed heading for Mexico City, we actually experienced a very big breakdown three days into that, which um, resulted in, unfortunately, us not getting to Mexico City. We went back down to Puerto Vallarta and I was stranded there for 39 days mm. uh, waiting on, on bike parts. Um, it's this whole other story that I won't get into now. But So I was in Mexico for quite a long time. Mm. I really fell in love with the country and the culture while I was there. Eventually did make my way up to Mexico City, down, and then through uh, the countries of Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, through to where I am now in Costa Rica. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, next up we have Panama and then crossing over into South America, into Colombia. Um, I mean, of course, as life has its ebbs and flows, so does the, just the nature of this trip. Yeah. The last month and a half has represented actually a little bit of an ebb of a struggle in that passing through South Mexico in through those countries that I just mentioned, the physical challenge of getting through the heat and humidity, especially the humidity, has proven very difficult. I knew that cycling through heat and humidity would be hard, and of course it is. What I did not anticipate in any way, shape or form is that camping in heat and humidity, because it, it doesn't get very cool at night by any means, has been really hard. Hard to the point that I've often felt quite sleep deprived, waking up multiple times in a night to mop up a literal puddle. I, I don't say puddle meaning a few drops of sweat, a massive puddle of sweat and i'm sorry for the gross imagery there 
you know, of, of just, you were just a turkey in an oven. And it's, um, yeah, it, it's really represented a, a real struggle. I was mm. lucky to, uh, to be joined by a lovely man from um, San Cristobal de las Casas, which is a, a town in, in South Mexico. He joined me riding to, uh, to Guatemala. Mm. And from Guatemala to here where I've met Lucy, I've, um, I've been on my own minus a couple of people who have jumped on the back seat for a few minutes just to give it a go. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a struggle, but um, still, you know, absolutely wonderful place. The mountains in Guatemala, incredibly beautiful. My gosh, also incredibly hard. <laughs> More bike pushing there than any other time in my life by far. But yes, that brings me through to where I am now in uh, in Costa Rica. One year into the journey, pretty much one year on the dot. I'm one year and two days into the journey, which is quite nice. It meant that I met Lucy on exactly my one year. Uh, and I've got about another nine or ten months to go. I expect that I'll be finished in late March in Ushuaia, um, late March 2024, and then flying back to Australia, finishing off finally by by cycling from Sydney back to my home in Perth, Western Australia. To which I'll say that I'm going to make the foolish decision to join you on some leg of that journey. Fantastic. Oh, wonderful. And you know what? This is this is very literally on tape. So, um, so uh, yes, consider that a pact made in blood. <laughs> Did I just screw up? Man? I'm not sure. And... I'm up for it. I'm, I'm totally up for it. And my mate Chris might be up for it too. We'll see. Actually, no, 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 no. We're not, let's not stop there. Let's get, let's get some people on this. Yeah, for sure. That needs to happen. Yeah, if you're a little peloton of bikes blasting across the Malibu. Mm, yeah, absolutely no Lycra allowed, by the way. <laughs> it's funny, I bought a bike recently and I walked into the bike shop and they're like, how can I help you? And the first thing I said is like, I'm not a cyclist, I don't wear Lycra. Because like it just looked so serious in there and I'm like, kind of your vibe is kind of what, I'm, what I am. The, the bike to me is is a vehicle to get from A to B. It's not about the cycling. It's about everything but the cycling. So I really love and respect mm. that um, side of, you know, your story. I can really relate to it. Um, but also a little side note, actually, and on a way lower scale, I got a bit of a taste for cycling myself. I think, I think it was uh, January of 2022. My girlfriend and I flew up to see my daughter before we went to Europe and uh, she lives on the Sunshine Coast, and we decided to buy bikes from the op shop, um, like 50 bucks each or something like that, and cycle them from Maruchidor up to Noosa, which is like, I don't know, 30, 40 kilometer ride um, with op shop bikes, not good bikes. Um, <laughs> and I really, there was two things that came from that. There was just the freedom of being on the bike, which was just like amazing. And then there was the more personal thing about the fact that this woman and I had been locked in an apartment together in Melbourne and had gone through really the ups and downs and definitely the downs of that. But yet when we were on the bike together, cycling up these hills and along this beautiful coastline, like it reignited my love for her and our partnership because it is such a intimate experience to be with someone so close. And it wasn't a tandem bike, sure. And we took turns in taking the lead when which whichever one of us felt more or stronger, I suppose. But yeah, there's there's a couple of things that you said earlier that tied into that for me as well, where I could really 
relate. So this has been a nice self-reflection yeah. experience. But yes, I deviated because I've just committed to a leg and I, obviously that leg's got to be longer than an hour because I need to make the book. You, there's a lot of people who find out about this one hour threshold, the magical no number of one hour, and immediately the next conversation is, so where are we going in our hour? <laughs> I will, the, the system has been gamed by, by many a partner, which, I, which I'm not one to, to judge on, but my gut feeling is that you shall be joining me for, for some period of time, likely significantly more than one hour. March. What are we doing? You come back to Australia in March, so the weather's relative. Uh, so, yes, the ride across from Sydney would start in mid-April. Ah, uh -huh. okay. We're getting chilly then, aren't we? Hmm. Hmm. Let, yeah, let I know. Roll that over. Unfortunately, yeah, the seasonal part. <laughs> hey, look, I can handle it. Look at, look at me making the same error for, you know, too cold in Bosnia, offered all these jackets. Too cold in Idaho, Montana, with poor old Alec, who I dragged through the mountains. And here I am planning a cross-Australia ride beginning in mid-April. Yes, I, uh, we are slaves to our programming, I'm afraid, and uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to be dragging you through the wet and the... Feel the wet and the cold. Mm -hmm. Not to mention the fact that you haven't even gotten to the tip of South America yet. So, like, I know there is many, many variables between now and then. Absolutely. Let's see if you can learn your lesson between now and then for sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, look, I mean, this has been thrilling to catch up with you and have the opportunity. And just from the bottom of my heart, I want to say massive thanks to Lucy for introducing us. A huge thanks to you for you know, wanting to be part of, you know, join me on this journey and yeah, helping me to also feel like I'm, I'm somewhat have become a part of your journey as well. And this has been a really beautiful experience, beautiful conversation. I could talk to you forever. Um, I think people with your insights and perspectives are really rare. When we find them in life, when we meet them, we must hold on to them. We must cherish them and we must help them nurture this benevolent adventurous risk-taking side of them and um, I guess it kind of leads me to to think that all of that generosity that you've encountered and I love that little piece at the end of your video towards the end where you were talking about the people of Mexico and how generous they are and the beautiful sunrise that you saw as well I think um, yeah just going back to that kindness and generosity piece I guess it, it, when you see someone that has so much character and, and so much courage, it's innate in human nature to want to assist them in that. And um, yeah, I hope this chat somehow has helped. I'm not sure. It absolutely has. And, and we've been talking all about me and this journey for this whole time. But if I may swing the camera and the microphone around to you for a moment, thank you so much. I I'm not just here as a podcast guest. As you know, I've listened to your podcast from before now and will continue to do so. And they, for any bit of kindness that I'm trying to encourage or bring out in the world, you are doing it tenfold with this really beautiful project that you're making. And I, I am just in awe of, of how you do this, of the open, kind of humble, authentic nature of you and what you are putting out there in the world so so thank you and i i'm so appreciative of meeting you making me cry for a third time today i think um and you may have just booked me for the whole length of australia who knows no i'm not committing to that 
Um, but I couldn't think of anyone better to join on this journey. Apparently, you've been sort of booked for the rest of your trip to your, I guess, final destination. Is that right? You've got people that are lined no, up. No, it's not quite right. I, I do have a fair few people for a good chunk of time. Um, if I was to string up all that period of time together, so right now, as I talk to you, it is mid-June 2023, which means I have let's say nine or 10 months remaining of those nine to 10 months remaining, I've got people to, to one extent or another locked in for about three months, three to four months. So there's still more than half of it. Well, more than half of it that is absolutely free for the taking. So, um, so yeah, if, if there's anyone out there that happens to have listened to this, that thought, you know, this sounds like something interesting, you know, no need for an immediate commitment, but feel free to by all means reach out and ask questions and whatnot. And, I'd be happy to talk. You know what? Fuck the questions. Commit. Do what our mate Danny Egan <laughs> did and just throw caution to the wind. It's worked out so far. Just do it. <laughs> That's right. I'm here for that. People can learn more about you on your website through your, your website. It's beautifully written. You've got videos there, maps. You've got information about your writers. It's therandomtandem.com. Um, you also have an Instagram, a YouTube that people can access through your website. If they want to learn more about you, I can imagine anyone listening to this will want to learn more about you. It's been so, so good to have you as a guest, Cam. It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely likewise, Louis. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. We'd love to know what you thought of that episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and even TikTok to let us know. And be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave us a review on Spotify, where you can catch some of our other really great episodes. Thanks for listening, and catch you next time.